Welcome back to In Ema's Eyes, a podcast where we journey through the weekly Torah portion and glean parenting insights along the way. I'm your host, Sasha Clark, the Catalyst, and I want to w- wish you a wonderfully warm weather wherever you are today. It is freezing cold in Iowa, and I am happy to be with you this week. This week's Parsha is Parsha Beshalach, which um, is Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 through chapter 17, verse 16. And personally, as you know, I've been on this parenting journey for most of my life, and I'm currently this year just on a quest to learn all I can about being the best parent I can be. Of course, to my physical children, my own inner child, and my spiritual children, which would be students, using God as the perfect template. It is my heart that my hindsight can become your insight, so let's learn together. We left off last week with the tenth and final plague in Egypt and the agony and grief that ensued. Oh man, I'm glad that I wasn't physically there. I don't think I would have liked all of the crying. Um, I uh, have an open emotional solar plexus, and so I tend to take on the feelings of others sometimes and absorb them as my own trying to work on that. So if you have uh, had the misfortune of experiencing me, um, you know, basically vomiting back somebody else's feelings recently, I apologize to you publicly. It does happen sometimes like a good sponge. Once it gets full, it has to all get squeezed out. So (laughs) now for those of you that are listening that happen to also have an emotional solar plexus that is open, We don't have to be victims to all that, right? We can just breathe out all that love and that light coming out of us and, um, and you know, but we're human. So, all right, uh, let's go over the Parsha together and then we'll talk about some parenting tips that I have for you this week. I'm so excited. Um, I was inspired by Charlotte's web. So you have a lot to look forward to in this podcast today. Um, I'm also really excited because I'm going to be interviewing with Ardelia Lee on her podcast tomorrow, and um, I'm really excited to get that information out to you. We will be talking about all things parenting, so I hope you'll keep your ears posted, your eyes peeled on your inbox. We'll have lots more to share with you. Okay, um, in the first Aaliyah, we... um, Well, in the first Aaliyah, what I was impressed with was that rather than attending to his people and his family and his own dead, this Pharaoh uses his grief to fuel his rage against the Israelites. And then he goes out with his army and like um, tries to bring all of the Israelites back by force. So I just wanted to say, oy vey, man, let it go. (laughs) Um, we were having a wonderful discussion this past Shabbat about a blessing in our prayer book too, that's called B'Tselem Elohim and what that all means. And one opinion that was shared at synagogue this last week was that it meant that B'Tselem Elohim means that there is inherent value in all of human life and that prayer is really meant to remind us to see ourselves and others in that valuable way. So I don't think Pharaoh gets it. Just saying, um, second, in the second Aliyah, the Israelites see the Egyptians coming, and Moses basically tells them to, uh, as my Italian aunts would say, stuff the cheek and just trust. So he literally asked them to be silent and just trust. So I was watching Charlotte's Web the other night. I think this was Sunday night. And the scene where Charlotte tells Wilbur that she's going to just handle things, he says basically like, okay, 
and just decides to trust her. And I think that childlike faith is really beautiful and sometimes necessary. And I'm having kind of a faith trial of my own right now. I won't get into it too much, but I have been just trying to say, okay, you know, and just trust. And when God lets, asks us to hand, sorry, and when God lets us know that God's going to handle it, we can just say, okay, and trust. In the third Aaliyah, God sends an east ruach, which is Hebrew for wind, to blow all night, and the path forward finally becomes clear, right? Because the, the, the Israelites have no idea what they're going to do. They're kind of trapped in this scene between the fire and the Egyptians on the other side of the wall of fire, and then the Yam Suf, the Red Sea that's behind them. And so, um, you know, the, finally the path opens up and there's dry ground for them to cross over. So my question for you this week is if you've ever had a situation where you go round and round and round in your head and all you can see is closed doors and no options all night long, like the darkness, darkest part of the night. And then one morning you just wake up and suddenly there seems to be a path forward. Yeah, me too. And here God keeps God's promises and lays a spirit of heaviness on Pharaoh and his army and removes the wheels off of their chariots, which is super symbolic. And it basically kind of alludes to removing their sphere of influence, their sphere of influence as well. Um, so that's kind of cool. He doesn't just like draw them out into the sea. He also like um, takes the wheels off of their chariots and prevents them from being able to be efficient. In the fourth Aaliyah in the English, it says that the people feared God. Now, I don't really care for that translation too much, although that is one meaning of the verb yure. I just think a better word for it is awe. So they were basically in awe of God. Like the song Mikamoka. Um, Mikamoka. And, and it's part of the Torah. Um, this is the part of the Torah where the Mikamoka song was derived. And in this same aliyah, we have the waters of Mara, and Mara in Hebrew means bitterness. But this the scene where the waters are bitter, and then um, God instructs Moshe to put a piece of wood from this tree into the water to sweeten it, and then he re then God reveals God's self as Adonai Rofecha, which means the God who heals you or your healer. And it's kind of beautiful because they. Um, I imagine if I had spent my whole life in slavery that I would probably feel really bitter down in the core of my being too. And so I just was thinking as I was reading this, Aaliyah, how um, sensitive it is of God to try to heal the bitterness inside the people before, before trying to lead. And I have this old adage um, that I don't think you can really help a person until you've attempted to imagine walking a mile. I mean, nobody can really walk a mile in another person's shoes, but just to try to sit with them and hear their story and try to imagine what it would be like to walk a mile in their shoes. It takes time and it takes patience. And I have rarely found a time when my leadership in someone's life has been effective without that magical storytelling first. So if you are interested in telling me your story, I would love to hear some of it about your parenting journey. You're welcome to email me and we can start to get um, the conversation going there. I would love that. Okay, um, which reminds me, you are also welcome to submit any parenting questions you have um, via email and I will be happy to answer them on the show. 
anonymously, of course. Um, in the fifth aliyah, the children of Israel start selling their narrative of how much <clears throat> how much better they had it back in Egypt. So this is the, like the beginning of a song on you know repeat, repeat, repeat. Oh, you know. So they have two songs. The the chorus of the song. So this is the the verse. The verse of the song is, "We had it so much better in Egypt," and then the chorus goes. Did you bring us out here to die? Did you bring us out here to die? <laughs> and I'm like, can you guys think of a new song? Because this is they re, they end up repeating this song so many times over the next forty years. But here's where it starts. Oh, we had it so good in Egypt, and they're like trying to convince Moses that they were getting like these really amazing dinners. And I'm just thinking to myself, do you think slaves are getting like the choicest meat from Pharaoh's? You know. <laughs> from Pharaoh's table. I hardly think so. I bet they were on some sort of like, you know, calorie controlled diet of some sort. So anyway, <laughs> and, um, God has a lot of patience. Um, he's like, gets a little testy, but he has a lot of patience and ends up giving manna that will sustain them in the desert. And he explains, God explains that the manna will test them to see if they can follow God's instructions. Have you ever been given a gift from God or from your parents or from someone else where it was actually a test to see if you could follow instructions. Like here's something I want to gift you with, but I have some specific rules around it. And this is a test to see if you're ready. And so it's also interesting that, um, Oh, when in Aaliyah six, the, the children of Israel are told then the teachings that go along with the spana. So they're told to gather one Omer a day. And I, sometime I want to go on a tangent with you about the different ways that Omer is used in the Torah. But for today, we're just going to talk about that's one Omer a day and to not store up any of it because in the morning it'll get all nasty. It'll have maggots in it or whatever. And the amount that they measured was the same, whether they gathered too much or not enough. So what does that have to teach us about our parenting practice and about trust? Is, are, am I able to give the same measure of love and attention despite how much, you know, this, the nourishing? I mean, kids need, what do kids need? They need attention. They need food. They need water. They need sunlight. They need a safe place to live. You know, am I able to give all of those things irregardless of their effort in the relationship? That's what I think parenting unconditional love is like is I'm giving to you out of the love I have, not out of any kind of merit or worthiness that you have. And, um, and in, in relationships where the worthiness is contingent where the, the provisions are contingent on worthiness issues. Um, it really is damaging to the child's self-esteem. So also the instructions are kind of revolving around Shabbat. Shabbat was last mentioned in Genesis chapter two. So this is, it's like reintroduced here, gather your manna for six days, rest on the seventh. And God is leading by example. How confusing would the message have been if there was manna laid out on the seventh day? Wouldn't God then be creating manna on the seventh day? And so I love that he's, that God's acting as a role model and keeping Sabbath also. And then in the seventh Aaliyah, we have our second water issue. And, you know, it is a desert, like seriously. And they are really used to living next to the Nile, which like, I don't think you worry about water at all when you live next to the Nile. So um, I don't think they're used to this. And this is going to take some adjustment. So 
again, if you've ever been in a situation where you like started a new job or moved to a new country and didn't know the language, that's kind of the same disorientation that the Israelites are going through at this part of the Parsha because they're just not used to, well, they're not used to not having to work. I mean, I wonder how distracted they would get from having to physically be laboring all day. And so they have just a lot of time to think and complain. And then they also, um, they're also used to having water close by. So it's a little upsetting. And anyway, Moses gets kind of upset too. He's like, you, he's like, God, you have to help me. If you wait any longer, they are going to stone me. So God instructs Moses to take the staff, that very same staff that he used to strike the Nile. Are you seeing the connection here? The Nile. And then pass before the people with the staff in his hand. So he's parading before them. um, Probably to prove to Moses that like, hey, you're not getting stoned here. Okay. Um, And then Moses is placing. So Moses is placing his trust in the people at the very moment that he's asking them to place their trust in God. And God's like, I will stand on the rock while you strike into the rock and the water bursts forth. So this is a really cool imagery where Moses is having trust issues. The people are having trust issues. And in one little like motion in one command, God is able to turn the hearts of the people and Moshe together and also the, everybody towards God. So it's really cool. And that kind of peacemaking, oh, it's an art. I don't know if if I have it in me yet, but I'm learning every day. So the parenting touch point I wanted to touch on this week is that um, just how important trust is to the parenting relationship. I really just see God going out of God's way to earn the trust or to reveal that, that God is trustworthy to the Israelites. Obviously, we know by the end of 40 years, some of the people still choose not to trust. But many of the people do trust, and it's a choice. We have a choice. It doesn't, you know, I, we don't all come from backgrounds where trusting was safe. And so my encouragement for you today is to just ask yourself, is the universe asking you to trust in a new way today? Um, definitely the universe is asking me to trust in new ways today. And then respect to really respecting the story, the, the narrative and the history of where other people are coming from. Uh, not that we should like uh, live as constant victims, but just understanding people and seeing them and hearing them for who they are. And then also the power of slander. I'm like this. Wow. Um, it, the the complaining that the Israelites do. I God forbid should I be a complainer. So, um, and our kids tend to whine and complain too when they feel like their needs are not being met. So sometimes it's on point and sometimes it's totally just whining for attention so I'll leave that to you to sort that out Um, but thanks for tuning in and may the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob bless you with an accurate narrative of your life and the life of your children and may you too find provisions in very unlikely places this week until next time Shalom